Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Brave. I am your host, Heidi Brower. In today's episode, we hear from my friend, Angel Hawks. Angel is a wife and a mother from right here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. She was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder after decades of misdiagnosed depression. She is an advocate for mental health awareness, particularly bipolar, anxiety, and panic disorders through YouTube and open dialogue with others to end the stigma associated with mental illness. This is a great episode that I'm really excited about. However, I need to put a disclaimer that the medications that Angel talks about was prescribed to her by her doctor. They are not meant to be a suggestion for you or a loved one. This is Angel's story and her truth, and I am happy to share it with you. Thank you so much for being with me today, Angel. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here and your diagnosis? Um, Well, my name is Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm 46, soon to be 47. Um, I have a son and a husband. (laughs) My son's 26. And um, why am I here? I wanted to talk to you about my mental health journey. And my mental health journey has been interesting. It's been, I guess I've been educated and I continue to learn about it. I love that now mental health is becoming more of a topic of conversation as opposed to something that has been maybe thought of as bad or whatever. And so that's why I wanted you to be here to tell your story. So let's just dive right into into what brought you to knowing that you had bipolar. Okay. So, um, I guess like it's been a long journey because it's really, it is actually difficult to diagnose bipolar. So I would say that it started with depression and my depression started, I know when I was around 16, actually, I would say probably when I was 12, I can go back and look, um, at having depressive thoughts, not really knowing what to do with them, Um, and not really knowing how to talk to my parents about it. So, and that kind of lasted all through high school. During high school, I would have bouts of like extreme energy, Um, just feelings of like euphoria and having feelings of energy that I didn't know what to do with. And I used to tell my friends like, "Um, this must be what it feels like to be high. You know, like I never did drugs. I never um, did. I never drank alcohol, nothing like that. But I would have bouts of like just just extreme energy. And my friends would feed off of it. You know, they would yeah. be like, like egging me on like, you know, oh, Angel, like you're so crazy. This is like amazing, you know. And I would feed off of their energy right. and it would just grow. And so I would have that. Um, that lasted all through high school. And then... When I hit my 20s, that energy turned into more like agitation and irritability. So it affected my marriage because I would, um, I would get irritable, like I would get really tired at work. I'd come home and I would take that out on my husband. And I mean, he was a trooper. Like he, <laughs> I know, like he really loves me because he stuck it out. And we went through that for years. And um, I would go to the doctor and I had extreme anxiety, like, um, and that turned into panic attacks. And my panic attacks hit and I thought I was having heart attacks, really. I didn't know what it was. 
And so I started, that's when I sought counseling. And I was diagnosed with panic disorder in the ER because I kept going to the ER and they didn't know if it was a heart problem or if it was panic. And so we went through that process and was diagnosed with panic. So then I was being treated for depression, anxiety disorder, and panic disorder. And they put me on a medication called Paxil. Mm -hmm. I was on Paxil for 13 years and it was like, it was a miracle drug. It cleared up my panic disorder. I stopped having panic attacks, but I was still in like, I would say I went into a kind of a long stint of depression where I just didn't have energy. I was still irritable. Um, and I would have, I wasn't seeing it, but I was still having these highs where I was doing things like, um, organizing my garage at like two and three o'clock in the morning and doing that all night long. I was doing things like painting my office at like two in the morning <laughs> I mean things that but not because you like to paint not because, because I like to paint but just I was like getting these ideas and I had all this excess energy and I didn't know what to do with it and so I was doing these things but I was having these feelings of euphoria and also agitation and irritability at the same time but I wasn't seeing it and my husband travels for work like not this year because of you know, COVID, but all the other years he was gone during the week. Right. He only saw me on the weekends. And so he wasn't seeing this. My son was in bed asleep. So nobody was seeing this. And I was only going to the doctor when I felt bad. Right. So that's why it's kind of hard to diagnose bipolar disorder because we generally only go to the doctor when we're feeling bad. And so I was only going in when I was depressed. I wasn't going in when I was euphoric or having any, you know, symptoms like that. And so what happened, and we're talking this process is happening over, over a series of decades. So what happened was um, my doctor had taken me off of the Paxil and put me onto a medication called, um, not Wellbutrin, oh shoot, I can't remember the, the medication. It was an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And she had ramped me up over time to the highest dose. I was on the highest dose that she could put me on. And it put me into a state of hypomania. And hypomania is um, a state of, it's not mania, it's a lower form of mania when you're talking bipolar. And so what that does is it, antidepressants generally with people with bipolar will put you into or can put you into a state of hypomania or mania. That is euphoric feeling or it can be agitation or irritability. Um, it's just excess energy. And I went in for a routine med check. And I was high. <laughs> I was off the charts. And I didn't recognize it, but she immediately recognized it. I was talking rapid speech. Like when I say rapid speech, like if you were talking and having a conversation with me, we were not having a conversation. Right. <laughs> I was speaking so rapidly because thoughts were flying in my head so fast. And the only way I can describe it, because I that feeling is so intense, it's like you are getting thoughts so fast in your head. You, ha you feel like if you don't verbalize it, 
quickly, those thoughts are so fleeting that you're going to lose them. Right. So you have this rapid feeling like you have to get them out. And the person you're talking to has got to feel so uncomfortable <laughs> because they they know it's not normal. And so I was telling her about all these amazing things like I was going to move to a new city. I was going to start this amazing business. My son was going to be an Olympic swimmer, like all these things. And she was just like, okay, slow down. (laughs) (laughs) We are dealing with something that is not just anxiety and depression. Like we are dealing with bipolar. Right. So I, my question is, is when you would talk like this to other people in your life, Mm -hmm. would they ever say anything like, or would they just say, that's great, and, like, move on? You know what I mean? Dude, How do they, they handle they, that? They could not even get the – they could not get a sentence out. They couldn't get a word out because I was talking so fast. I think they were, like, dumbfounded. I think they didn't know what to do. Right. You know? And so you take that as this is normal. Like, did you – or did you feel was, that something was off other than I thought depression? it was normal. Right. I thought it was normal. And when I look back – Honestly, I look back at situations when I was like, like you were there. Like I knew you during that time period. And um, I am so embarrassed because I didn't have control. And I look back and even though I knew I didn't have control, I still look back at situations that happened and I'm embarrassed by that. And I know that I probably lost friends at that time. Um, And... I didn't have any control over my um, my actions and the way that I behaved. Right. Um, because I was unmedicated because they didn't, my doctors didn't know what they were dealing with at the time right. until I received that final diagnosis. And in the in my doctor's office, when she gave me that diagnosis and she gave me the the sheet of symptoms and I looked over those symptoms, I just started crying because I could... I could um, recognize all of those symptoms in myself and the pieces fit together finally. And I knew that what I had, it validated everything for me. Yeah. I think it's powerful to have a diagnosis that Mm. means something, right? Yeah. And it wasn't like I was happy I had bipolar. I was just happy to know that what was wrong with me, like it had a name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it kind of maybe gives you direction, right? So once you know that this is something that you have, now you can research and know what to do to help you with it. You know what you're dealing with. You know what you're up against, and you know that the doctors now know how to treat it. Okay, so when you looked at that sheet of paper that showed the your symptoms and everything that bipolar was about, then could you look back on your life and re- recognize that all throughout your life and not just in your adulthood? Absolutely. (laughs) I could look back and even, um, so I could look back and recognize my relationships with my friends, my relationship with my husband, and um, it answered so many questions for me. Um, I could recognize that the way I responded, the way I acted in situations in my in my youth and in my early marriage i knew why i had done those things like okay so my husband and i were high school sweethearts and 
we eloped when we got married, <laughs> which it doesn't, it's not like a normal thing in, in our, well, I don't think it's a normal thing nowadays. Right. Like when you hear of people eloping, you think of like 50s and 60s time. I don't know. Like it's just not something that. It's not super common. It's not super right. common. But, you know, one thing that happens with bipolar is spontaneity. I think that I, I convinced my husband, let's go do this, you know, and he was along with it because, you know, he was in love with me. And of course I loved him too, but like, it was just like a joke at the time. Like we were living in Utah and we would go to Salt Lake on the weekends. Like that was just something that we did. And we would pass the sign (laughs) that said exit to Vegas, you know, and it was always like a joke, like, oh, let's just take off to Vegas and go get married, you know? And, um, and we ended up, we didn't go to Vegas because we had to work like two, you know, two days later. And so, you know, so we went to Elko to get married, uh, because we had to get back to work and we worked at Hardee's, which is no longer in business. But anyway, um, and so like, how many people do that, you know? But we were like, okay, let's go do this. And we grabbed some friends and went and got married when we were 18. And, um, and on the way home, like, I just, I just got so sick to my stomach because I was like, we are going to be in so much trouble. And we were, you (laughs) know, the wrath of the parents, the wrath of the parents. Um, and luckily, like, I mean, like we're coming up on our 29th year of marriage, which is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, it's been, you know, marriage is like, you have good years, you have bad years, but like we, we've been through so much together and he is my rock. Um, even through bipolar, like he is my rock. That's amazing. Yeah. And looking back at like when I was younger, I would say from a child and even like when I was a teenager, when we would have like family reunions or family gatherings, I would see like even sitting at the table with my mom and my aunts and my grandma, I would hear them talking about family history. Like, so my grandmother's brother um, died in what they used to call a sanatorium, died in a sanatorium um, during um, ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. He had a heart attack. So he was diagnosed with manic depression. And my grandmother's grandfather And I have this actually in a family history book Mm -hmm. that my aunt put together. And I just, you know, recently was at her house and we were talking about this. So there was a story in the book about my grandmother's grandfather. And in in the story, it says, and grandpa went away to the hospital and we never talked about him much after that. Okay. (laughs) And so would this be assumed as like a sanatorium a sanatorium which right. now we would call behavioral health behavioral health okay. yeah or psych ward okay and he lived the rest of his life out at the sanatorium and passed away there and he was diagnosed with manic depression manic depression is what they used to refer to as or what they used to call what we now refer to as bipolar and i think it's actually to me it makes more sense to call it manic depression because with bipolar, you're either manic or, or you're, you're depressed. depressed. Right, that does make sense. So, um, and and there is also what's called um, a neutral state. So, manic, depressed, or you're in a neutral state, which is sort of like a normal state. Even though every psychiatrist counselor I've ever seen 
hates they they tell us don't use the word normal because there's not like a normal right but anyway so now they call it bipolar which means like on a scale like on, on you're either on one side of the pole or you're on the yeah. other so um t- anyway so that's when they talk about bipolar or mental illness there is a genetic component to that yeah so if i look at family history like it is in my line you know um so it's kind of like i was sort of destined to have it which is not a fun thing to think about (laughs) yeah but it helps make sense and i think that if we are looking into our family history and we see those signs maybe it's Mm -hmm. if we're dealing with something that we don't really understand what's happening maybe family history is a good place to start because a lot of um mental health issues Mm -hmm. are genetic yeah so tell us after you got diagnosed with bipolar where did your life take you after having that diagnosis so bipolar if left untreated is just going to continue to get worse and even though my diagnosis came in 2012 it doesn't mean that that's when I got bipolar like I had had bipolar for years it just was untreated and undiagnosed So I got my diagnosis in 2012, and I have to tell you this part of it because this is really crucial to my story. In the office when I was flying high and she diagnosed me with bipolar, um, her words were, this is what it is, being bipolar. And the second thing that came out of her mouth was, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Hmm. Make sure that you only tell your close family, and if you have some close friends. If you tell anyone else, you're probably going to lose friends, and people won't really want to be around you because people don't understand bipolar. It scares people, and um, you want to be really careful. And How, how did that make you feel? <laughs> it was terrifying. Right. First of all, I get the diagnosis bipolar, and when people hear bipolar, a lot of people think school shooters, um, mall shooters, like unstable people, you know, I mean, it can be really scary. And so I get this diagnosis. I didn't know really what it was. I knew finally what I was dealing with. And I'm having my doctor say, don't tell anybody. So I left the office and driving home and I pull over and I'm just bawling. Like before I get home, I'm just bawling. Then I get home and of course, I tell my husband and I tell my son, like, we have a family meeting. And then the first thing I do is I go on the computer and I go to YouTube because I needed information. Yeah. And at that time, there was like a few videos on YouTube. I mean, now you go to YouTube and there's tons of people right. that are on there talking about their bipolar experience. But at the time, there were like a couple of YouTube videos, like documentaries and stuff. And I watched those and I just it was like I feasted on it because I wanted that information. And then I went to Barnes and Noble to get info. So it was like I was just trying to take stuff in and she had put me on a new medication called Safras. And it was like a very new medication, not just new to me, but a new medication to the community. And, um, and initially when I took it, I slept. <laughs> I slept for the first time in my life, okay? Wow. Because with bipolar, like, you have, when you're when you're manic or hypomanic, it's like, the best way to describe it is, 
if you have a computer and you have all these windows open on your computer, with bipolar, you can't close those down. They're always open and they're always active. So for the first time in my life, when I took Safras, it was like I could close those windows down at night and I went to sleep. That's a great analogy because that's very visual for people who might not understand, yeah. but that's a great visual. Right. And so I slept for the first time, like literally since I was like a little girl and I got good sleep and it was like amazing. But the problem was as the doses ramped up, it, the medication turned out to be not good for me. Medication, psychiatric medication is better than it's been ever, but it also is, um, you're, it's, you're being tested (laughs) when you're on it. It's, they say you're a guinea pig and that's literally true. Right. So, um, it turned out to be not a good med for me. And that is initially what led me to the hospital. So I was actively in treatment. I was seeing my psychiatrist once a week. I was seeing my counselor once a week. That ramped up to twice a week because I was getting, I was going into a dark place and I was telling them I'm having suicidal ideations. I don't want to get super dark on your podcast, (laughs) but um, I went into a dark place and that led me to the hospital. Right. Um, So I was utilizing. That's okay to say that because this is real. Right. It's, it is it's, real. It, and I think that a lot of times we as a society want to take the nice route to not tell. We want to make it pretty. But it's not. <laughs> sometimes it's not pretty. And sometimes you were doing everything not. right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's still, things will still come up. Right. So that's, you know, that's what I want you to share. And mental illness is an illness. And I want to get this across. Like if you have heart disease, it sometimes can lead you to the hospital and you have to get treatment. Yep. And mental illness, a lot of times people separate it from, you know, regular illness. It's the same. Your brain is the same as your heart. Yep, absolutely. You know? And I really would like everyone to recognize that. And so I ended up in the hospital. And um, the hospital, what I really want people to understand is when you go into, like it used to be called the psych ward or in really old times, it was called the sanatorium. Now they've changed it to behavioral health units. The purpose is to keep you safe. When you cannot keep yourself safe, you go there. Or when you are in a place where you are not, um, where you are not mentally balanced, that's where you go. And so I ended up there and it's not comfortable, but when you need to be there, that's where you need to be. And it saved my life. And when I was there, I saw a really great psychiatrist. He put me on a medication called Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic. Just because you go on an antipsychotic does not mean you are psychotic. Right. <laughs> it's just a class of medication. And I was on that medication for six years, and it was a lifesaver. Medications are really hard to manage, and they might put you on a number of different meds. You're Like right now, they call it a medication cocktail. And I'm on four different meds, but they're working amazing for me. Stay on your meds. Yes. (laughs) Don't mess with your meds. Stay on them. Take them as they're prescribed. You can live with bipolar. You can have a full life. 
but it takes dedication and it takes going to your doctor, it takes going to your counselor and a support system. So now that you are living with bipolar and coping with it, how how did you come to the place where you are now where you were open about it and vulnerable about it to share your story with others? Okay, so talking back about my doctor, okay, I don't want to vilify, you know, vilify her in any way. Like, you know, she was trying to help me and I'm sure she was giving advice that she thought was good advice. It stigmatized it for me. It, it yeah. literally was hurtful. And um, so my, I, I kept it in. I, I literally didn't tell all of my family for three years. Um, but I got to the point after my hospital stay and after a three-year period where I just thought, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of people that are hurting. And I had met people along the way that I had talked to, that they were bipolar, and we had had conversations. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. Like, I need to use my voice. I need to talk about this because the stigma has to go away. There are a lot of people that have this. They're hurting. There are people that have other mental illness, you know, because... My bipolar is, okay, so initially I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 with OCD and panic disorder and PTSD. So, and they all kind of fall into a bipolar category. So, so. So let me back up real quick. What year were you officially diagnosed? 2012. Okay. So, um, so I was diagnosed with all of those things, but my main diagnosis is bipolar. And I was diagnosed with bipolar 2, meaning there's a difference. So bipolar 2 means basically that you have hypomanic symptoms, but you have more depressive symptoms than you do hypomanic. Since then, my diagnosis has changed to bipolar 1, which means manic symptoms and less depressive symptoms. And manic symptoms, a lot of people think that means that you're happy, you know, like you're super euphoric. It can be, but it's more so that you have irritable symptoms, that you're agitated, that you're anxious. That all fits in along with the euphoria. So it can it can be multiple things. Yeah. And you can have those things at once. And you can also have depressive symptoms at the same time. And that's called a mixed state. Okay. So that's just a little information on that. But so coming out. Okay. So I just decided this is it. I just have to come out. And, the, and so... The way that I did that is I needed an outlet and I decided for me when I first got my diagnosis I went to YouTube and there was not a lot there yeah and so I just decided to create a YouTube channel that was my way to come out and to be brave that's amazing (laughs) and to talk about it and um, I just wanted to have that outlet, a creative outlet, because I am a creative person. A lot of people that suffer from mental illness are creative. I don't know why that is. (laughs) I just know that it is. Um, And so that's what I did. And I openly talk about it. I don't wear a t-shirt that says, hey guys, I'm bipolar. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I don't just walk up to people and be like, hey, guess what? I'm bipolar. But I am open to talking about it. And um and there's a time and a place to talk, to talk about it, and sometimes it comes up. And when it does, I talk about it with people, um, and I'm not afraid anymore. 
so at first, were you scared to put it out there? Were you afraid to hit that record button? <laughs> I wasn't afraid to hit the record button. I was afraid to hit the upload button. Okay, yes. There is a difference. <laughs> I have learned that there is a difference. <laughs> the upload button was the one thing. And then to go, because there's a button on your channel that you go from private to public. Yes. And so that was um, that was really nerve-wracking. But once I did it, and then also sharing it to my Facebook page, um, because your Facebook is, of course, your friends and your family. Yes. And doing that for the first time, um, and actually every time that I post it to Facebook to friends and family, is nerve-wracking because I don't want people to think that I'm just doing it for attention because that's not the case. I'm putting it out there so that people know that um, they just know and they have the information because even if they don't suffer from mental illness, they might know someone that does. Absolutely. And it just gives them the info and it, um, the more you know is the more you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And what kind of response have you gotten from being so open and honest about your bipolar? So it's weird. Like, from friends and family, I don't get a huge response. Um, but from people that respond to my videos on YouTube, complete strangers, um, and from different parts of the world, the response is really heartwarming. They say, thank you so much for posting this. Um, I was just diagnosed with bipolar, and I am so glad that you put this out there. Um, you know just things like just things like that you know um you're so brave thank you for posting you know it's it's always like gratitude yeah. <laughs> and that means so much to me and especially when it's complete strangers if i know that and and basically i just always say like i i do these videos so that you know that you're not alone because when i first got my diagnosis i felt completely alone in in my new world yeah and i want people to know that they have a tribe <laughs> there's a tribe out there and there's a support system and i did not feel that when i first got my diagnosis because people i think are afraid and they shouldn't be afraid and this is one thing that i'm actually going to make a i have a plan to make a video about this is you know, I get really angry sometimes when I'm in the midst of a, of a depression, like when I can't get out of bed and I'm just laying there. And when I say I can't get out of bed, like people are like, why can't you get out of bed? But it's like your body physically feels like you have like one of the worst. For me, this is what it manifests. I feel like I have like the worst case of flu. My body feels so heavy that just the thought of getting up to go to the bathroom is like so daunting that it will take me all day to get up to go to the bathroom. And then it's like, I have to get back in bed. Yeah. And it will last all day. It, sometimes it lasts for three days. And so I'll get really angry and I'll think, why am I going through this? Like, what is the purpose? So my next video that I make is actually going to be a video talking about a positive thing. And the positive thing that comes out of me having bipolar is empathy. Yeah. I can empathize with others and I can help others that are going through this through my experience. I can help somebody and maybe I can save somebody's life. Yeah, you that's know? beautiful and it's true. There are a lot of things 
beautiful things that come from trial, trial and mental illness. And, you know, I deal with my own mental illness, you know, in a, in a way. And it's, there are things that are good about what I go through and what I struggle with, because I do think that empathy component is really important. And through my trial, I gain strength when I survive every, every depression episode, every manic episode, I gain strength and I can share that and, and help someone else. And you know what? Somebody else that's going through it, they can help pull me out when I need that. Yeah. You know? What would you say to health professionals or people out there who, when they hear of somebody that they love that has bipolar disorder or depression or manic whatever, what would you say to them? Um. My, my advice would be to read up on your illness. Information is power, you know. Seek out as much information as you can. I would say develop a support system. Um, I don't want to say get rid of toxic people, but if there are people in your life that don't understand your illness, understand that, that I guess, love those people, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not their fault that they don't understand. Hold on to those people that support you and go to your doctor. Seek out counseling. Take your medication. If you have a psychiatrist that you feel like is not meeting your needs, seek out a different psychiatrist. I, that's the big thing is the support system. You have to have that. You, yeah. you have got to have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. What about people who like like your um, like spouses of people who might be diagnosed? What or family members? What can we do to help support if we know that somebody that we love has been diagnosed? Just do the same thing that you would do if you had a, a family member that suffered from any other disease. You know, if you had a family member that had heart disease or diabetes, check in on them. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them if there's anything you can help them with. You know. Um, if they're having a day where they don't have energy and they just need to rest, let them rest, you yeah. know. Don't judge them for, you know, bipolar is hard. There are days that I can't get out of bed, and there are some weeks that I have three days or four days in a row that I can't get out of bed. My husband doesn't judge me for that, yeah. you know. He checks on me. He brings me food, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he just... He is very supportive in that way. Likewise, if I'm having days where I'm super anxious and I am like, you know, just wanting to do things that are um, out of the ordinary, he tries to calm me, you know. He, he, a lot of times I don't recognize it. So he will say, you know, honey, you're, you know, you're a little anxious today. Like, what can we do, you know? So spouses, they have a really difficult, like, I really sometimes feel bad for my husband, but he is amazing. And likewise, if you love someone that suffers from mental illness, bipolar, depression, whatever it is, get as much education about that illness as you can. Because the more you know is the more you know. Yeah, that's great advice. That's all I would say about that. That's great advice. Thank you. Tell us if somebody wanted to get a hold of your YouTube channel, where would they go? Just go to YouTube and type in Angel Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. So how um, how often do you post episodes or 
I don't have a schedule, so <laughs> I, I feel bad about that. Generally, I post at least one a month. That is kind of what I do. My YouTube channel is, it's my creative outlet. If I feel like posting, I post, and sometimes if the mood is not right, I don't. It's very organic, so if I'm struggling with something, I'm thinking about what I wanna post, and as soon as I am able to, I'll go in and I'll film. And I don't edit, so whatever I sit down and I film, that's what you're gonna see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have watched a few of your episodes, and I just have to say I really loved watching them. I loved that they were organic and they were you, and I loved that you were very open and honest and brave and vulnerable to share your story with others because I think that it's helping. I even went through and read some of the comments because I wanted to see how you were Mm -hmm. affecting other people. And I think that when we have the bravery to stand up and say, this is who I am and this is what I have or, or whatever, Mm -hmm. that that's how we are able to connect with other people. So I thank you for your bravery, for wanting to share your truth with other people to help them. Because like you said, it's not for attention. It's to, because I know you on a personal level that I know that it's to help other people because right. you don't want somebody else to be told, keep this private and never talk about it again. Sure. Yeah. You want people to, you know, educate I want, themselves. I and, want the stigma to go yes. away. You know, yeah. there's no stigma with cancer. There's no stigma with heart disease right. or, or diabetes or anything else. There should not be stigma with mental illness. Yeah. And I think we've actually come a long way since 2012. Absolutely. So, yeah. which, is, which is good because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when I was in high school or when I, we never talked about, you, we didn't mm-hmm. talk a whole lot about suicide, depression, anxiety. Those words weren't really used a lot. I remember being in school and being told if somebody in your school commits suicide, don't draw attention to it. Yeah. That's what we were told. Mm-hmm. That So if one of our friends was going through something, we didn't talk about it. Right. And I think that it's really important that we do have these conversations. And we are in 2021 and can openly talk about this. And that's important. And I- even if you don't have bipolar disorder and you just want to check out her YouTube channel, do it. Because I feel like when I was watching it, I was able to see things in other people that I know that maybe helped me understand Mm -hmm. this disorder a little bit better. And so I thank you for that. I appreciate that (laughs) very much. Thanks. And I, I appreciate you letting me come and ramble (laughs) because that's what I sometimes do. Um, and just share this with you. Thanks so much, Angel. Mm If you or someone you know is struggling with some of the same things that Angel talked about today, please see your healthcare provider for more help. Do you have a story to tell of your own bravery? If you do, you can find me on Instagram at behind.the.brave. You can also find me at Gmail at behindthebrave at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Let's find our bravery together.